twowayradios.com, check, check. Bytwowayradios.com. Recorded almost live from Rock Hill, South Carolina. It's the Two Way Radio Show. Welcome to the Two-Way Radio Show. I'm Rick Savoya. I'm Danny Feimster. And Anthony Roque is out today. And this is the podcast about two-way radios for business and consumer communications. Today we'll discuss the recent FCC enforcement advisory against the import, sale, and use of unauthorized VHF, UHF two-way radios. We'll talk about how it could affect users of these radios and how it could impact the U.S. two-way radio market. We'll also take some of your comments and questions from our blog and our forums at twowayradioforum.com. Our show is sponsored by buytwowayradios.com, the source of two-way radios and radio accessories for businesses and consumers since 2002. Enter the promo code SHOW at checkout and save an additional 5% off your order. Buytwowayradios.com, your radio specialist. In episode 126 of the Two-Way Radio Show, we discussed the recent citation for the Baofeng UV5RV2 Plus by the FCC and what it could potentially mean for all versions of the UV5R. On September 24, 2018, the FCC issued an enforcement advisor against the import, sale, and use of unauthorized VHF-UHF two-way radios effective immediately. The advisory reiterated that non-compliant radios cannot be imported, sold, advertised, or operated by anyone in the United States. And that's exactly what it said. <laughs> that, that is exactly what it said, which is sort of like what we gathered from the Baofeng document or the, the decision, right, that... Um, non-compliant radios couldn't be sold or uh, or used. It just seems like with this new FCC enforcement advisory that, that was just released, it seems like another indicator that they are entering crackdown mode. Wouldn't they seem you, to be. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah. yeah. I mean, we've had this, this Baofeng decision, and now we have this enforcement advisory, which, from what I can tell, seems to stem from a letter that was sent to the FCC in um, February and then a, a follow-up in June, I believe, from the mm-hmm. Land Mobile Communications Council. Yep. Yeah, that uh, it seems that they mentioned in their June letter that they had sent the FCC two documents that they advised be released. And um, our speculative uh, guess is that perhaps this is one of them or that the FCC has combined the two into this one release? Well, there were indications from that letter that that this was the first one. Um, that was my take on it, and I'm speculating again, but um, there seems to be maybe something else that's going to drop later on. Um, perhaps. I, I don't know. I think the letter from the LMCC was dated prior to this release, and it mentioned that they had provided the FCC with mm-hmm. two suggested letters, one to end users and one to distributors. And I think this was the one for 
it seemed to be the one for everybody. Yeah, so really. that's, that's what makes me think maybe the FCC combined the two letters from the LMCC mm. into one release, but that's we don't possible. know. We, we haven't seen the letters from the LMCC, um, but... Um, that's possible. Uh, but also, we should probably mention, since we talked about the LMCC, who that group consists of, publicly at least, because a lot of people may be thinking, oh, is this the big current radio, the, the big radio manufacturers that uh, we all know that have been dominant players? It's not. At least, at least publicly, the LMCC seems to be a consortium of um, frequency coordinators. Uh, mm-hmm. You have Enterprise Wireless Alliance. Um, you have um, Forest um, Industries, I believe. Well, this particular letter was signed by uh, Dave Smith of the Land Mobile of LandMobile.com and uh, Mark Crosby of EnterpriseWireless.org. Yeah, Enterprise Wireless is big, and their president from um, landmobile.com, that is FIT, which I believe is Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're a frequency coordinator. There, there's a certain number of frequency coordinators throughout the country. But uh, th- what this advisory says is basically you've got to have a type accepted radio. Your ra- before you can import a radio, it has to be approved by the FCC. It has mm-hmm. to be I guess what they're saying is granted an FCC ID number. Um, of course, there's a big exception in here for amateur radio. Um, that seems to be the only exception. Well, there's one other exception they didn't mention, I think, in the previous one. One of these documents, they mentioned that it's it's amateur radios and the government. Right. Federal government also has a exemption, yeah. I guess, from, from having the government approve it. Am, amateur radio operators in the government. That's that's it. Um, the the key sentence uh, that I've underlined here in this advisory is: rather, these devices may only be imported, advertised, sold, or used only if the FCC has first approved them under its equipment authorization process, or unless the device operates exclusively on frequencies reserved for amateur radio or they are intended for use exclusively by the federal government. Which we talked in our previous episode about this um, at some length, about what's the UV-5R was sort of, we thought, deemed to be non-compliant, even though it had an FCC ID. Mm-hmm. It had been approved. So we were going, we, we were saying, what is the point of the FCC ID if it's still up to a dealer or a reseller to make sure the device is compliant? But it got me going. <laughs> well, <laughs> maybe we misread that, is, is what I'm thinking now. You think so? I mean, I, I've reread this UV5R decision. And goodness, Rick, I'm just too stupid to get it. I think because no, I don't it, think so. I, just, I think this is a little bit. Every I time I read vague, it, I get something else out of it, and I can certainly read the UV5R decision as being um, that it was approved, but it was even I can read it as the radio wasn't doing anything wrong. It was this company Amcrest that was marketing it 
outside of the scope for what it was approved to do. Well, my interpretation was that when the FCC um, gave the Baofeng UB5R um, type acceptance, that was back in what, 2012, 2013? Right. Back in 2012, I believe. Uh-huh. And uh, when they originally did so, the specs on those radios were such that it was acceptable uh, for use on on Part 90. And since then, things have changed, and the FCC is saying that basically the radios are no longer compliant. That was kind of the way I read into that. So the FCC, I think in a way, the FCC is sort of covering their own tracks by saying, well, okay, originally when we gave it uh, certification, it was fine, um, but this radio has morphed into so many other things because, you know, they have taken this radio but, but and... But they don't and, say any of that in this document. They don't mention... Not really, yeah. For example, one of the things that changed um, after 2012, from, from what I understand, and, and believe me, I'm not... I'm getting better after the last <laughs> few weeks, but I'm not an expert on FCC enforcement, Part 90 rules. Um, I'm not. I'm learning here. But... Um, my understanding is what changed in 2012 is the ability to program a radio from the keypad. That was mm-hmm. allowable prior to then, but right, in and then 2013, they changed that. that it was disallowed. But well, supposedly radios that were already made that way yeah, were grandfathered in, and and they just couldn't make any more. Now here's where it gets tricky: that when they've made more of these different radios, like you've got all these variants of the UV5R including the UV5R V2 Plus mm-hmm. and the BFF8 and the BFF9 and the, uh, you know all, all these other things going on. And, and, of course, all these other clones that seem to have come from that board mm-hmm. that, that they use for the right. UV5R. Uh, I think since then, it, it's become really convoluted, and some of these, um, how should I say, some of these models are still trying to attach themselves to the original FCC type acceptance or the FCC ID uh, and that that just really doesn't apply anymore because it's changed so much. They need to have some clarity on what kind of change to the product is allowed. And maybe there's clarity and I'm just not aware of it because I'm, I am learning all of this. Um, but... I'm unclear because I, I see what you're saying. There's a UV5R, there's a UV5R V2 Plus that's mentioned mm-hmm. in, in the document, and there's UV5RA, UV5RB. There's, I could go on for 30 minutes listing the various, yeah. various model numbers that is literally the same as everything else. But I don't think that alone disqualifies it because I can look at Midland product, for example, a, a GXT-1000 VP4 radio that we've been selling for a long, long time shares an FCC ID yeah. with the GXT-1050. Mm-hmm. Now, what's the difference between those two models? The GXT-1050 has uh, five animal call alerts that mm-hmm. it supports, and it's camo instead of silver and black. Um, well, you know, I, if we're going to talk about the uh, about that particular radio for a minute... Uh, there have been 
a couple of reissues of the FCC ID for for the GXT1000 as well. There have, and they've decreased the wattage output yeah. um, in those subsequent approvals. Um, I, I don't know why. I guess they made changes to the board, um, and and that's my understanding. A physical change to the circuitry would require a separate FCC ID or a reapproval. Mm-hmm. Well, didn't they remove a couple of features from the GXT1000 over the years? Um, I, I don't want to get sidetracked, but I think that they scrambling was allowed at first, and mm-hmm. the FCC right. made them remove scrambling for um, at, at some point. But I think even after that, they've reissued that. Um, well, the point I'm making here is is if that does require some changes to the board. Mm-hmm that would have to require recertification and then reissuance of, of that uh, FCC ID. Uh, if that's the case, and it, you know, even if it's a minor change, uh, that recertification would be required. And obviously with the UV5R variants, there has to be some sort of modification, however slight, between some of these radios to be able to do some things with certain features and and uh, maybe power. Uh, see, I don't see when I look at a UV5RA, a UV5RB, a UV5R, a V2 plus. I don't see a difference between the features. What I see mm-hmm. is a difference in the shell, the way the radio looks, and that's like the GXT1000 versus the GXT1050. They're the same radio except um, one is camo, one is not. Now, the animal call alerts, which are supported by the 1050, maybe that's controlled by a jumper or something like that on the board. The software thing that, that or a firmware kind of thing? Yeah, perhaps it's firmware. Surely you don't need to recertify mm-hmm. the radio every time you make a firmware adjustment, one would assume. <laughs> You'd think so. might be like some of these, uh, these uh, Intel processors where they disable certain things on the speed it's really the same processor they just disable a couple of things to to be able to sell it as a different uh, class or speed of processor maybe that's pretty much the same thing uh, going on here ultimately there's a section in this uv5r v2 plus fcc versus amcrest decision mm-hmm. it's under the title applicable law and violations okay and here is what it comes down to. After reviewing Amcrest responses, we find that Amcrest marketed the UV5R V2 Plus outside the scope of its equipment authorization. As noted above, Amcrest admitted that the UV5R V2 Plus is capable of operating on restricted frequencies. Accordingly, Amcrest violated Section 302B in the Act uh, of the Commission's Rules. While we recognize Amcrest's efforts to achieve compliance, the company must nonetheless ensure the version it is marketing operates only on frequencies specified in its equipment authorization. The key sentence there for me is, we find that Amcrest marketed the UV5R V2 Plus outside the scope of its equipment authorization. Mm -hmm. Which ties into the enforcement advisory where they say these radios may not be imported, advertised, which means marketed or mm-hmm. sold in the United States unless they comply with the commission's rules. Um, so, yeah, we, we did cover some of that, I think, in the last episode or in, uh, in, in episode 126. Is the problem not that it's, like, let's say 
it's part 90 type accepted, which means it's, it can be used for business frequencies. Well, the radio also supports, for example, GMRS frequencies, mm-hmm. which are covered by part 95, which is a different type acceptance. So is the problem not that it's capable of transmitting on GMRS frequencies? Maybe the problem is that Amcrest marketed it as operating on GMRS frequencies, whereas... Yeah, and they did take some steps to change that on their site. Yeah, what I see now when I go to Amcrest's site is they're still selling the radio. Even though it says here they've got to stop selling the radio, they're selling it. Mm-hmm. And they've added a blurb to their website saying this can operate on uh, marine, airband, uh, GMRS, and basically you're on your own. You're not allowed to use this radio on those frequencies. And basically what they're saying is this this is being sold as an amateur radio only pretty much. I don't and think they're saying that. I think they're saying think so? it's a commercial radio because it's, hmm. it's authorized for operation on commercial. Yeah. And uh, that brings up a little a little side topic that we'll probably get to in a little bit <laughs> related to the other business radios. But pretty much what the FCC is saying is that um, it can't have the ability to transmit on public safety and or other authorized channels. It um, it can't really have the ability to transmit on wideband because they mentioned wideband, I believe, in this enforcement advisory, didn't they? Um, well... But it may be mentioned, but there's in the section that says applicable law and violations, that's where they should be saying, here's mm-hmm. specifically what you did wrong. Right? Narrowband, yep. the, just the ability to transmit on narrowband cannot disqualify it from being compliant. At, at first, I thought maybe it could, but then I checked, and basically every business radio that we sell yeah from, exactly i'm not going to throw anyone specifically under the bus here but you go into the programming software for some big name radio they're all capable of doing they're this. capable of doing it so just that ability that built-in capability can't disqualify it from being compliant right and, right and you know when we were talking about the uh, original mandate the FCC mandate in 2013 that they required narrow banding um, my understanding was that it had to be capable of narrow banding it didn't have to be narrow band only it had and to have the capability of narrow banding sure in, in 2013 we helped I'm sure thousands of customers become narrow band compliant mm-hmm. um, and what that involved was reprogramming, updating their license to show that they were using the frequencies as narrowband mm-hmm. and changing their existing radios most of the time to be narrowband instead of wideband. Right. There was no throwing away a radio just because it supported wideband. Unless the radio was wideband only. If it couldn't handle narrowband, um, then obviously it would have to be swapped out so it can no longer be used by an active business but if it was capable of doing narrow band that was fine you could you could um, uh, just program in the narrow band and and you're done and those radios still support wideband it's just not being used in the US that's right 
So <laughs> there, there's some mention in here about capable of operating on restricted frequencies. At, like as noted, Amcrest admitted the UV5R is capable of operating on restricted frequencies. And then there's a, um, a footnote for that. But from what I can tell, it's in its grant, it's granted approval to operate on frequencies 420 to 4, 400 to 480 mm-hmm. and 136 to 174. So I believe what this is saying is you can't operate outside of 136 to 174 and 400 to 480. It can't have the capability to operate outside of that. But GMRS is in that. Right? Yeah. GMRS yeah. is in that range. So do they have to block GMRS? Do they have to block the marine frequencies? According to this advisory, apparently they do. Okay. You would think so, right? I would yeah, certainly this read, this I read this as thinking, thing. well, it, you know, 400 to 480, there's a lot of frequencies in there that are not in the Part 90 business band. But again, when I look at radios made by very big name manufacturers that we've all heard of that are very, very popular and, you know, we see them everywhere. We won't mention any names. Right? <laughs> I don't want to throw anybody under the bus, but. There are many radios that have this exact same problem where, well, if, if it even is a problem, I, I can pick a random big name brand radio from our warehouse and program GMRS into it. I can program Marine into it. Now, maybe there is a key difference. Most of those... Um, aren't programmable from the keypad. Most of those, the end user that are buying the radio are buying it from us. We're programming it before we send it out and we would not program a marine frequency into that radio because we know better. With a UV5R, someone that doesn't know better or doesn't care could just key in a marine frequency. Yeah. Well, not only that, just when it's in, you know, even if they're not keying it in, just the fact that that radio can can scan every frequency. Well, that's fine. Uh, a scanner, in, in you there, can listen in. Right, but if you key it up, if, if it's scanning, and technically for those radios, uh, even if it hasn't been programmed, if you land on that frequency, I, if, unless I'm mistaken, by default, you're generally able to key it up as well as listen. I don't know. I'm not sure right off. But... It does seem strange that the capability, just the the physical capability of of being able to transmit on that frequency, if that is what's what they're saying is wrong, then a lot of radios are are non-compliant. So because there's so many big name radios that also have the same ability, and while it may not be as easy, you can still buy the programming software for these big name radios. It's available. You, an end user can get it. Mm-hmm. And they could, I mean, it's just because it's not as simple, it is possible that an end user could get the software, update the radio, and transmit on GMRS if they chose. So if 
the rule is it can't have the ability to transmit on those other bands or other services, then it should apply across the board. Mm-hmm. And I no. don't think that you know I, I I can see maybe Baofeng isn't aware of all the nuances of the Part Ninety. Um, Rules. Maybe they don't, just don't care. Right? <laughs> Most likely, they just don't care. They get they they do what they get away with. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that some of the larger brands that we've heard of and been using for for decades. I don't believe that they're ignorant of the Part Ninety rules. I believe that they're building devices that are meant to be compliant, and they're not blocking Marine. They're not blocking GMRS. Mm-hmm. So. I I guess what I'm saying is I don't know where the line is. I don't know what the rules are. I'm confused. This is this is <laughs> this is confusing me. I don't know. We sell a lot of import radios. Now, we market them. I guess this is going to bring us into maybe mm-hmm. we need to talk about what we're going to do. Yeah, for I the mean, time being at least. Yeah. What I was referring to was operating that radio in VFO mode. And if it's in VFO mode, doesn't it? If you're if you're landing on a a frequency, doesn't it just openly without any programming just allow you to key it up as well as listen? Well, if you're in VFO mode, you can type in a, any frequency that you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't see what the difference would be if it's scanning and stops on a frequency, or if you just key in that frequency. It has the same it's the same thing that the right. user is deciding to transmit on a frequency that's on a service that's it's not supposed to be used for, right? Right. No, this gets into, this is my issue with this, and and what I'm a little confused with, because according to this advisory, the FCC specifically states that radios that are capable, capable, now what I mean by cap, now my interpretation of capability is that the radio can be, you know, it's possible for that radio to uh, transmit outside the frequencies it's allotted for, uh, as opposed to just being programmable out, you know, outside those frequencies. I mean, if it's capable, even though it's not dealer programmed into it, just simply by the fact that it is capable, period, um, seems to seems to negate it from being uh, sold or marketed in the United States. But having said that. What they're saying here is that if the radio is capable of operating on on any of those other bands or frequencies, it can't be sold or marketed in the United States. Period. And then later on, it gets to to the to the part where it says um, amateur radio operators are exempted from this. But here's my problem: if we can't sell or market a radio that has those capabilities, uh, period, how does the amateur radio operator get a hold of these radios to be able to buy them and use them in the first place? You see what I'm saying? It's a little bit of a conundrum. If we can't sell them in the U.S., then how is it that the amateur radio operator can operate it by exception if they can't get it? Well, the amateur radio exception, which we haven't talked about yet, but the, in the, this advisory, we can sell it 
if it's locked mm-hmm. down to only amateur bands, right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that how you read it? Yeah, yeah. We so can, I guess we they can. would buy it from us, right? But they, they would buy a radio that can only transmit on well, amateur bands. the amateur radio operators in general, aren't they experimenting uh, with their own radios? Aren't they building radios and things like that? Or are they used to? And that's what the exemption was really was for, is that, well, an amateur radio operator, if he's going to be building his own unit, um, he isn't going to be able to go off and get a type accepted for anything anyway. So that's why he gets that exception, because he's experimenting. And as long as he's, he's in his own well, – as long as he's operating in, within those amateur frequencies, then he's okay. It's all on him. If, right. if he, he goes outside the frequencies – you're licensing the person. You're not licensing the equipment. You're saying exactly by virtue of this person passing and getting the the license, this person knows enough that they aren't going to cause harmful interference and they're going to restrict themselves to transmitting on the amateur bands. Exactly. Now, here's what I'm getting at. Um, if that's the case, and of course, we all know that there is no type acceptance for that. So right. technically, since there isn't any radio that is capable of operating on the hand bands can be legally used by an amateur radio operator. And that's I think that's essentially what they're saying here. Right. But what that, that also means is that, well, if they can use any radio, including these Balfongs that go, you know, out of out of band for for their allotted bands and frequencies, they can use those legally. But if they can, then they still can't get a hold of them if nobody here is selling them. Do you see what I'm saying? I see what you're saying, but I, I don't think that the FCC would say that just because you're an amateur radio operator, you're licensed, you have the right to be able to buy equipment that can possibly that violates other FCC rules. They're allowed to. They're allowed to. If you can get your hands on a UV5R mm-hmm. that the FCC deems non-compliant, I guess an amateur radio operator would be able to legally use it on the ham frequencies. That's my understanding anyway. Mm-hmm. But so and then and which brings me to uh, to the next point is that even if uh, the domestic US dealers stop selling the Balfunks, uh, even to the amateurs because they're saying it's capable of going outside the amateur band so we can't legally sell it to the amateurs, then the uh, amateur radio operators are naturally going to go outside. If that's what they really want to do, they're naturally going to go outside of the domestic U.S. dealers and buy them through places like, say, Alibaba or something like that. But it would be up to the domestic U.S. dealers to provide a radio that's compliant with the FCC's rules, right, That can mm-hmm. that is locked down to the amateur radio frequencies. I just see this as a, as a conundrum because here the U.S. dealers um, are being uh, told by the FCC to stop, but yet how is the FCC going to enforce this overseas? They can't, technically. No, no, they can't. It, it's, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, 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 it's already a big mess because, uh, I, number one, I, I've read this – both of these decisions 300 times, and I don't understand it yet. <laughs> I've That's read it a bunch of times myself, and I'm still confused by it. And you know what? I've been, I've been checking around online to a lot of forums, our own forum too, 
Reddit and, and a lot of these other places where there's been a lot of discussion on this, and nobody else seems to really fully understand No, everybody has a different – Everyone has a different, different take. Different take on it, and because of that, you know, I've talked to some people that I think, hey, this guy really knows what he's – this mm-hmm. putting me to shame as far as, you know, what you know on, on Part 90, but they come up. You can get two of those guys, and they've got different opinions. They're, they're all says. over the place. Everybody has their own opinion, their own interpretation of this. You know what I wish? I wish we could get someone from the FCC to come on the podcast here and answer our very specific technical questions about this. You think that's possible? They just started their own podcast. Yeah, they, they did. Like they started publicity. two of them, as a matter of fact. And, and I'm going to see if I can get in touch with them to see if they are willing to uh, be on the show and discuss this. So, In the meantime, I guess we could talk about what we're doing with, you know, we are a reseller of two-way radios. We sell, what, four brands of import radios. Mm-hmm. So based on reading everything and not fully understanding it, it seems to me that the safest route to go, and my number one goal is to not be fined by the FCC, to mm-hmm. not do anything in violation of FCC rules. We we try to be 100% by the book here. and We're trying to do the right thing. We absolutely are trying to do the right thing. I'm unclear on what the right thing is. So... It seems like the safe thing is to have all of the radios that we sell from these import manufacturers locked down to amateur radio frequencies only. Mm-hmm. Um, because they do explicitly say that if the, they're able to operate only on amateur radio frequencies, then they do not need to be approved by the FCC. So I'm thinking... Even if there's a Part 90 type acceptance for this radio, better safe than sorry, let's lock it down to ham. Now, that's probably not going to affect us a whole lot. We sell your big-name radios also. we Most of what we do are business radio sales. But these import radios, we market already to ham radio operators. These are products that, that you know, I mostly, most of the time, I'm not going to tell a business to buy a bow phone. I can't think of any case where I've We generally don't said to, do, do that anyway. We, we yeah, discourage we, it in, in a good deal of the time, in fact. Yeah, we market these radios to amateur radio operators. So that's not going to be a big change for us if they're locked down. Um, but it's interesting some of the feedback that we've gotten as we've asked manufacturers um, to comply. You think we should share some of that? Absolutely. Um, well, I guess let's start with the, the big one, Baofeng, which mm-hmm. um, Baofeng, we're taking a different course. <laughs> Baofeng, we're just going to stop selling entirely. Um, Baofeng has not been the easiest to deal with on this. Yeah. Um, or anything. <laughs> it seems that Baofeng, or at least my guess is that Baofeng is the brand that is getting the most attention from the FCC and Baofeng is also a brand where we haven't ever had a great line of communication with. They, I mean, we do buy direct from the manufacturer in China, um, 
but the communication is poor and it's we don't get great information on the products when we ask a question about the products it's up in the air if we're even getting the right answer back when they do and, respond yeah exactly and and this isn't even a topic i feel comfortable discussing with the manufacturer because i don't know that i can fully trust the information that i'm getting back so probably the safest bet is just to at least for now they they are a very popular product and once i am convinced that they're compliant i will certainly look at selling something like a uv5r again but for now we we uh, have no more Baofeng inventory. We still got accessories in stock, um, but we're, we're no longer selling any of their radios. Um, Ocean, um, they... They're the opposite. Yeah, oh, they're great. They're fantastic. They, they're, uh, you, you actually have intelligent people responding to your emails, <laughs> yeah. and, and they um, seem to really care what the feedback is on their products. And... A lot of their radios were already um, sort of done the way that that we're we're asking for. Um, their KGUV8D, their 9D, mm-hmm. the radios that weren't Part 90 type accepted were already locked down um, to amateur frequencies for the most part. Hey, we we would get requests uh, from customers saying, "Hey, uh, can you unlock these things?" and well, they come locked. You know, that's right. That's the, how the they ones come. That, that were not Part 90 type accepted are were already locked down to the amateur mm-hmm. bands, which shows that this company is, you know, interested in com- being compliant and following the law. And that's not something that just happened with this advisory. This has been going on for mm-hmm. years. Now, their radios uh, that had a Part 90 type acceptance were capable of transmitting on business frequencies and a wider band. And we've asked them to lock those radios down to amateur frequencies as well for future orders. Yeah. And uh, in fact, they gave us the ability to do that for our in-stock product. So all the ocean product that we're shipping now is locked down to amateur radio frequencies only. I know there are going to be um, some of our listeners that probably won't be too happy to hear that, but, uh, but for the most part, I know that that if you're listening right now, I'm sure you want to be compliant uh, anyway. So you should be happy to hear that See, we are, uh, we're, we're, we've got your back. Well, here's my concern with that, Rick. What if we're not compliant? What if, what if the rules allow someone to buy a Part 90 type accepted radio, use it for their work, and use it for their ham at night, which which Previous some of our customers to, well, wanted to do. A lot of our customers do. A lot of hams do. They mm-hmm. use radios at work and they use radios at home. Um, they love radios. They want one radio that will do everything. And it's nice and, to be able to have that ability, not having to sit there and buy two. You know, not having to buy two radios, one for work and one for for recreation or home use. And prior to this UV5R V2 Plus decision, I thought that was perfectly fine i thought if you bought a part 90 radio you can use that for business frequencies you're a ham and you've got a ham license so you can use it on the um you know 144 to 148 420 to 450 and honestly 
I still think that's okay, but I'm just not sure. So I'm being cautious with the business here Mm -hmm. and locking it down to ham only. Erring on the side of caution. I'm erring on the side of caution, possibly to our detriment, but that's the way I'm approaching it. Um, Lycian, um, we sell a few of their mobile radios. Yeah. Um, the backpack radios and, and such like people that. People love yeah. their backpack radios. That it's like it's got a, a battery built in. They sell a um, like a backpack. You can put this thing in, so you can mm-hmm. go camping, and you and you've got a high power radio on your back. A lot of hams love that, um, but they have also provided the ability for us to lock down um, our frequencies to ham only. And future shipments will be like that, and anything that we're shipping is already like that. And there's TYT. TYT is giving us some pushback. Uh, TYT is saying, um, and now they've got a slightly different product. They're mm-hmm. selling digital radios. Um, they want their product to be able to be used by business. Um, MD9600. Um, MD twenty seventeen, and they do realize they do realize that their uh, a, a lot of their uh, users are are hams. Uh, I know there are a lot of businesses worldwide that use these radios, but a lot of their uh, their users here in the U.S. are hams. There's a, a pretty large DMR ham community that's dedicated to the MD three eighty and the twenty seventeens and and such. Well, they insist to me that their Part 90 type accepted radios are compliant to use. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're open to making changes. Um, I believe that in their software, by default, you cannot key in a frequency. If, um, if I'm correct, by default, you cannot just pick up a UV, MDUV 380 and type in any frequency you want but that is a feature that can be unlocked in the programming software. Um, they are okay with removing that or modifying that in some way, like to require a password That's good. in order to do it. But um, they don't want to lock these things down. And they think that, that they're compliant the way they are, and they are making an attempt to get in touch with the FCC to get a clarification. I would surmise that the reason they uh, hesitate to do that is is because they're selling these things worldwide. The U.S. is just one market, and they really are they're probably not having any other issues anywhere else except here. Well, I don't think they would change their product for everything else for everywhere. I think they would. Their intention would be to just make this change for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, there there are other dealers that aren't asking for this. I would fully expect them to leave the radios as is. Um, I, I, certainly not a European dealer isn't going to get the, the lockdown to, ham fre- to U.S. ham frequencies change that we're asking for. Um, but so they're concerned. Yeah, and I can understand that. <laughs> Being a, a huge market for them, uh, yeah, they should be concerned. But uh, but whether or not they're concerned enough to to say hey you know we're going to take the extra time and I guess expense for us to to go the extra mile just for 
this particular market and this particular dealer well remains to be seen the other thing is i wanted what i wanted was a firmware update mm-hmm. i thought that it would be um I asked them, if possible, to make a firmware update to lock them down to the ham frequencies. And I would have liked for it to be a firmware update that could have been rolled out once clarification was achieved. (laughs) But um, it seems like it's more than just a firmware update. They they seem to to indicate that it wasn't something that was going to be back outable. Back outable. Is that a word? It's a new word. It is now. Hashtag back outable. Back outable. <laughs> uh, it's a good one. So, anyway, um, I guess we're going to continue selling TYT as is for now while they wait on clarification from the FCC. Uh, now, we sell a f- couple of their analog radios. The uh, mobiles, the TH7800 yeah. and the TH9800, those, we are having them change the frequencies to be ham only. Mm-hmm. It's the digital product that's that's up in the air um, for us anyway. And I think part of the reason they may not be too concerned about the digital product at this point is because it's, you know, these things are not easily programmable from the keypad, for one thing. Um, that's right. been now, my experience. I think you could completely remove the keypad programmability and it wouldn't yeah. hurt too many people. You're not – well, people may be doing it for analog mm-hmm. because they do support analog also. But you know, most people buying a, an MD380 or a 2017, they're going to use the programming software. Yeah, and then you're going to dump in a code plug somewhere that, that somebody else has already – prepared for them right uh you know we get calls all the time you know anthony made a uh, a nice code plug for the md380 when it first came out and he's updated a few times and he spent days on it and then when it came out you know when this radio came out everyone was wanting his code plug uh, because they didn't want to have to spend three or four days uh, programming you know all these frequencies in and um, that tells you something about how involved it is to do that for some of the DMR radios as opposed to the uh, – on some of these digital yeah, especially mode radios as opposed to analog. If you're using it for amateur, uh, that's where the problem is because there's mm-hmm. so many contacts. If you want to get um, all the other hams in your area, I mean, I think TYT expanded at our request their, their contact Mm-hmm. list capability to go to 10,000 because people need to be able to import 10,000 contacts. You're not keying that in from the keypad. You're, no. you're importing <laughs> that into the software. And um, even with the hams, you want all of your regional repeaters. So that's a if a business were using that radio, you know, they would have three frequencies maybe and a, maybe a repeater. It would be a 10-minute programming job. Yeah, but for the hams, they want, they, they want everybody they can reach. Yeah, and that's that gets a little involved programming wise. It'd be very time consuming. But uh, where we are right now, the Balfungs, uh, we're no longer uh, selling those. Uh, Ushens we have, TYT, some changes on the analog uh, radios. Uh, 
digital on hold. Yeah, and then uh, with Alation, we should be good for that, right? That's right. So uh, that's pretty much our plan of action. Now, the Alation, I don't know. We have the ability to make the changes ourselves here, but I don't know if we've actually done that. So it may be early next week before we're shipping lockdown. I don't know when this episode's going to go out, so it'll probably be <laughs> live by the time you hear this. Well, uh, in any case, this is uh, this is a lot to chew on, and it's yeah, it's a big convoluted can of worms, in my opinion. Leaves something to be desired. Uh, I don't know. It's. <laughs> I feel like we've talked for uh, uh, quite a while here, and we have, you know, once again, no real answers. We're just. Letting you know how frustrated we are. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, having said that, we have received uh, a number of comments from um, our listeners about this. Did we get a lot topic. of comments, more comments than usual on the last episode? Yeah, we 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 had quite a few. Um, I you know I've got three or four here that were actually in response to the actual advisory. As well, I'm going to read those right now. As a matter of fact, because I think some of them, some of them uh, have a lot to chew on, and also it tells you uh, where everybody is. Well, it it tells you what we were talking about earlier about just how confused everyone else is. <laughs> I'll just say it. I'll just put it that way. Fred says, am I correct in what I hear that I cannot purchase or use a Baofeng UV5R V2 Plus on the handband since it only has an FCC Part 90 certification? That's from Fred. See? Uh, there you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm not comfortable answering any of these questions because I don't think I can say with certainty that I'm giving the right answer. What I think, and don't trust me, is that if you've got an amateur license, you can use it. Yeah, I mean, no type acceptance is needed um, to, to operate a radio in the handbands, as we were talking about earlier. So you should be able to use the 5R or, or the variant such as the V2 Plus uh, on the amateur bands only. But the advisory is basically warning users against using these radios on other services for which they aren't type accepted, like MERS and FRS and GMRS and, uh, you know, bands like that, marine bands, which is what a lot of people have been doing with this radio. That's kind of what started some of this trouble in the first place. You know, people were buying these UV5Rs and just talking, you know, programming it for FRS and, and, and MERS and marine bands, and it was causing a lot of, a lot of problems. And some of the emergency response frequencies and, and causing interference, I remember... Um, hearing stories about people that were getting cited by the FCC for for causing such interference, and, and stories from people that would get on and on these uh, emergency bands or these uh, uh, public uh, service bands and things like that, and, and interfering directly, uh, some of it intentionally, and that was causing a lot of trouble. And so, yeah, I mean, I can understand why the FCC issued this advisory in the first place, because it all just 
it's it started to come to a head pretty much and uh, that that's really where the issue I think is but you know these radios aren't specifically FCC approved for use on any of those bands and it clearly violates the rules and limitations on a couple of them like FRS and MERS um, but you know it's an interference that's really I think an issue here you know the encroachment on those other bands uh, that this that these radios are not authorized to to operate on. So, you well, know, as long that's as you're certainly what I, I think the that they're they're saying that's why they're going after this. I don't know that there's been a lot of cases of there have been a few interference being I've caused. Read I've read a few stories. Yeah, I'm sure you can and, uh, find a few stories out of yeah. uh, how many of these things have sold millions probably. I've heard uh, somewhere of some kids getting a hold of these things and interfering with the public service bands. And yeah, but how long have kids been doing that? Kids can get a Motorola and interfere with public service bands, can't they? It's, I don't know. I'm not a kid, and I don't have a Motorola. Look, if you're a kid who, who can afford to go out and get a Motorola radio to do this, um, well, I mean, there's probably better uses for that money. But <laughs> well, I just want to know where probably the, doing pretty well. I think Motorola is a, a number one. I think Motorola is a very good use of their money. <laughs> I'm just saying that uh, you know, I guess some kids they they'll spend hundreds on a on a uh, game console, and other kids they'll spend hundreds and hundreds on a a radio. I suppose. Well, as uh, <laughs> you know, as the owner of a, a two way radio dealer, I'm gonna I'm obligated to say it's a good use of <laughs> their money. Well, anyway, anyway, I think the bottom line here, and I think it's fairly clear, I think the FCC made this fairly clear already, that as long as you're a licensed ham operator and you're using your Balfong radio only on the ham bands and frequencies for which you're licensed, you should be fine. I wouldn't worry too much about it. Um, let's see. This one is from Brandon, and it's a little bit long, but I think it's... it's thought-provoking he says I had a feeling this was coming I understand why though you basically cannot trust everyone to not transmit on frequencies for which they are not authorized however I must say I never became licensed for amateur radio until these radios became more affordable I must admit what put me over the top to get back into radio was the ability to scan and transmit all within one device some of us just cannot afford a scanner and another radio for transmitting as well it's unfortunate people like myself who have enough sense not to transmit on frequencies for which we are not authorized are going to be stuck with a device locked to the handbands. Here's where I have questions, though. The FCC left some of what they said up for interpretation. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, if a device is capable of, uh, and he's quoting here, if a device is capable of operating only on frequencies that the FCC has allocated for use by amateur radio service licensees, it does not require FCC equipment authorization. Okay, simple enough, if a radio is shipped to the USA and is locked to the handbands, no need for Part 90 certification. The obvious requirement is you be an amateur radio operator and follow FCC Part 97 rules. If a two-way and he's quoting again, if a two-way VHF UHF radio is capable of operating outside of the amateur frequency bands, it cannot be imported, advertised, sold, or operated within the United States without an FCC equipment certification. Here's where it gets interesting for me. 
I own a KHUV 6D that indeed has an FCC ID and is Part 90 certified accordingly. As there are several other makes of these radios that are technically Part 90 certified as well. So my question would be, is my KGUV 60 legal for use as long as I operate on the amateur radio band? If I purchase another radio, for example the KGD901, would it be locked to the ham bands or open since it is Part 90 certified for UHF? There is no simple fix for this problem that is going to make everyone happy, but requiring customers to prove they're licensed for amateur radio before they are sold a radio could be a start, although I'm sure some would oppose that as well. And that's from Brandon. Well, give Brandon a podcast. That was a... Yeah. A, my sentiments exactly. <laughs> it seems like uh, he's echoing what, um, what well, we, we talked, talked about, about earlier. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just... It's just unclear. We just need need some clarity. One thing that um, I thought of last week that he he brought back up there: what happens if all of these non-compliant radios do what we're asking Ocean and Lycian to do and lock their the frequencies down to ham bands? And now people want cheap radios, and they go to Amazon, and they don't care. They don't know mm-hmm. anything about what frequencies they are and these guys just buy ham radios without a license and (laughs) end up causing tons of interference for ham radio operators i could completely see that happening because the easy thing is exactly what we're doing and locking them down to the ham bands it makes sense for us because we're selling them and marketing them to ham radio, you licensed ham radio operators. But when Amazon starts doing the same thing, those customers are not going to be licensed ham radio operators. It's going to mm-hmm. say ham radio, but you're going to have them using them for business. You're going to have them using them for lots of things. I see where you're going with this. Yeah. You're going to all of a sudden find businesses and people who are are using them for recreational purposes all of a sudden uh, flooding the ham bands yes. with, uh, with interference, with, with communications. And, and the, that's really, you know, that's a, that's a good, I see a risk there. That's a very good uh, point, and I think that's a real concern for the hams. Uh, I, think it really, I think it is. You're going to find all these people, all of a sudden, instead of having all those frequencies that they could use, um, they're all going to be concentrating on on whatever frequencies are in the radio, and that's those let's, are the ham frequencies. Let's be honest. Most of the people that are buying these import radios off Amazon for business or consumer use are aren't even they don't even care about the frequencies. They're just turning mm-hmm. them on and using them on the default frequencies. The, we're not talking about radio people. We're talking about people that just need a device that, that'll let them do instant communication. They don't. They don't even know what a frequency is most of the time, and that's fine. But when you have those default frequencies being ham frequencies, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean historically, you've it's been pretty restrictive. You needed a ham license to use those frequencies. Mm-hmm. You're going to have some problems. I've or the hams are going to have some problems. I've seen this time and again. People going into our twowayradioforums.com and uh, and our blog. And saying, "Hey, I just bought this UV5R or the V2 Plus or BFF8 or whatever. We had one, I think, uh, the other day. I just got this BFF8 Plus, and I want to use it for 
X, you know, for whatever I'm doing recreational, you know, whether it's paintballing or, 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 or what have you. And they just buy it, and they're asking, how do I turn the radio on and I'm trying to communicate, but I can't communicate with anybody? Uh, how come I can't communicate? What am I doing wrong here? How come it's not talking to my other radios? Or how come it's not talking to my, my, uh, you know, my FRS radio uh, that I bought last week, like a you know R300 or or a you know a, yeah, a Cobra? The average uh, user doesn't. They don't know. They don't know, and they don't that's know. That's okay that they don't know. Well. It, it is, it is as long as they can't key up anything. <laughs> if they can't well, key up anything and they don't have anything programmed into it, I guess it's okay. Well, what but I'm saying is, as out, the dealer, it should be up to us to educate them when they're yes. buying the product or sell them something that it doesn't matter. If we sell them an FRS radio, great, have mm-hmm. at it. You got 22 channels, use any of them you want, anytime you want. There's no license, no special license required. But that's but, that's my point there. Most of these people, like reiterating what you just said, a lot of these people are buying these things. They don't know anything about radios. Yeah, just, they just turn it on, and they think, I'm going to turn on this radio, and I'm going to start using it, because that's what they're used to. They're used to buying something, turn it on, and it works. And well, that's all they know, and they don't know that there are any rules involved or, or there any programming involved or any licensing involved for some of these things, and they're just going to start using them. Then all of a sudden, yeah, like you just said, okay, before maybe it wasn't quite so bad because if they weren't programmed to anything, they just simply wouldn't work. Now if they're, you know, if, say, they're going to be, I'm not saying they're going to be pre-programmed to any ham frequencies, but once they're locked down to the ham frequencies and people say, oh, I can type in this number and I, no, I they, can talk to somebody. They'll be That's, pre-programmed. They will. That, think because, so? um, look at the popular radios on Amazon now, like the BF-888, yeah. for example. They they are preset. They're going to have a few programs. frequencies pre-programmed in there. Oh, boy. And, this, is going to be, this is going to be a hornet's nest for sure. <laughs> you know, this is well, good. It's they're just unintended consequences. Anytime you take action like they're taking, it's going to produce unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And it, this is one potential unintended consequence. So you brought this up just now, and I really wasn't even thinking of that aspect of it before. I wonder how many other um, people have not really consider that either oh i've got several other scenarios that i think they're all <laughs> doomsday all doomsday scenarios here apparently <laughs> they mostly and i know we're getting to the end of the show but they, they mostly involve amazon and it, amazon is where the big problem is here and how is the fcc going to get that under control amazon is exist as a platform not a seller mm-hmm. for a lot of this they they have a special class like they they're they're saying we're like eBay we're not selling these things we're just providing a platform for someone else to sell it uh, I don't also, buy I don't buy that I know argument you don't. but but also they have allowed as of a year ago dealers from China directly to sign up and sell products so what you have are a lot of these radio sellers don't even exist as an entity in the United States so how is that enforceable at all, if you can't go after Amazon and you can't go after the seller, mm-hmm. what do they do? Well, you know that 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 brings up another 
um, topic right there in regards to this advisory. Who is the advisory actually written for? Was it actually written for the users? Was it actually written for uh, the U.S. dealers like us? Or was it really more written for, say, Amazon and eBay, or more particularly Amazon? Well, I think Amazon's the target. Amazon's where the, I mean, and not really for anything they're doing wrong, mm -hmm. but that's where most people are going to buy these products. So that's that's where you've got to address, right? And this is a huge behemoth here. And, and is the FCC really serious about this? And if they are, are they at some point going after Amazon? Because the last time I was on Amazon, well, I was on Amazon this morning, as a matter of fact, uh, checking around. But uh, last time I was looking at the uh, a couple of these Balfung radios on Amazon, uh, they still hadn't they hadn't done anything. They were still just happily selling them. They had them all on their site, selling them all merrily. Uh, well, they uh, may be okay. and that's what makes me think that maybe they're okay because Amcrest is the the Amazon dealer mentioned in this document as being flagged by the FCC. Amcrest is still selling these radios. So uh, either one, Amcrest is crazy and they're just willing to pay the $20,000 a day fines or <laughs> Amazon could afford it <laughs> or they've got the radio compliant. They they have addressed whatever the FCC asked and made it compliant. Oh, that brings up a couple of things. I I just thought of this. Okay, first thing, I went up and looked at some of these Balfung radios, and they're being sold and shipped from Amazon. Yeah. So, so Amazon directly, if if they're in violation of these rules, the FCC is going to have to go after Amazon. And are they really going to do that? I mean, the, the, Amazon's huge. Is it going to be the FCC versus Amazon? This should be very interesting. Let me get the popcorn and the beer, and I'm going to sit down and have some fun. Although, technically, I'm not supposed to be eating popcorn anymore, but. Uh, I'll grab my favorite snack and sit down and watch the fun. But, uh, well, I've, I've got one more. This is from Bruce. Um, he says, thanks for the discussion on the FCC's strange citation against Amcrest. It seems to me that something is fishy in Maryland. Uh, that's the FCC headquarters. The FCC certified the radio. The federal government allowed the radio to be imported. Unless Amcrest modified the radio, the radio isn't actually the one the FCC certified, or the radio doesn't have the proper FCC ID on it. Uh, then Amcrest should have zero liability. As an amateur extra and a VE, I find this to be nothing short of an abuse of power by the federal government. I further believe that it is most likely an attempt by the FCC to placate other manufacturers who've lost a lot of revenue to cheap Chinese imports. On the other hand, there are a lot of radios being sold online that show up without any FCC ID on them. In the Balfunk case, my research indicates that such radios are most likely fake. The day is now here that the cheap Chinese knockoffs are being knocked off. Thanks for discussing the issues on this. And that's from Bruce. Um, Bruce, we appreciate that. That's... Yeah, thanks for the comment there. That that makes a lot of sense. I, I completely agree with you. Um, now, the uh, part where he's suggesting that maybe this is coming from the other the established two-way radio manufacturers, um, and I don't have any evidence either way to say if that's the case or not. Um, I do. It does seem like they are the Land Mobile Communications Council 
has the ear of the FCC. Um, but it seems like from you, when you look at their website and you see who the members are, it seems like it's just uh, you know it's a bunch of frequency coordinators there. All right. Well, I guess that pretty much covers um, this. I mean, we could talk about this all day, and we don't have all day to talk about it. So, uh, yeah, I think everybody's well, probably turned this off about half an hour ago, <laughs> or it's just made everyone mad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> For various reasons, you know, <laughs> probably maybe mad at us, maybe mad at the FCC, mad at Amazon, mad at anybody. <laughs> Let's hope not. Just everybody keep your cool. I mean, it's this. Who knows what's going to happen next? But uh, you know, uh, don't panic. But it's just something to 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 keep an eye on. That's all. Well, we have a couple of comments and questions from our blog and our forum at twoayradioforum.com. I'm going to go through these quick. The first one comes from Brockdorf, and he says, "My friend suggested me that if I chose any Balfong radio, you cannot legally operate on FRS since FRS has a half watt of power limit." GMRS should be no problem with a 50 maximum. Also keep in mind higher power seldom equates better coverage. Height of antenna has far more impact than power output. Lastly, not a single Baofeng slash Pofeng radio carries Part 95 certification. Many consider this cert necessary to operate on GMRS legally. Take your time and choose wisely. And that's from Brockdorf. Um, actually, if... Um, uh, you know, the FRS now has a two watt power limit, except on those yeah. those one the the original. Uh, I don't really disagree channels. with a lot of what he has to say there, other but, than the power. He's not up to speed on the recent changes with GMRS and the FRS, right? Yeah, yeah. Except GMRS, you, you still can't use GMRS uh, legally on these anyway. But um, you know, yeah, he makes uh, makes uh, he makes a good point. Uh, the other one comes from Angus, and Angus uh, says, I run a cattle farm with one employee and need to communicate with him. As we use four-wheelers, it is impossible to hear a cell phone with the noise from the wheelers. I've been looking at ICOM 3011. Will this work? Any other suggestions? Thank you. And that's from Angus. Um, 3011 will work if he's there. But the thing is, though, if he's on four-wheelers and the 3011 being a, a handheld, I would really recommend that he put a mobile in there or a micro mobile, something that he can, you know, that will fit in the four wheeler, so he can keep, you know, keep his hands free, so he can drive pretty much. Uh, that would be my suggestion. Or just use a headset with a forty eleven, some type of headset, um, perhaps one yeah. with uh, some noise canceling capabilities. Um, if you're using a helmet. Um, there, there are headsets that are kind of you know made for motorcycles that may mm-hmm. be good to look at, and uh, you know they'll have some noise blocking built in. So I would say it's more of a, a function of the headset you're using than. The well, radio. I th- I think if he's on a on a cattle farm and he, and he has to have some range also, he might be better off the mobile anyway, since he'd be able to put it put the antenna mount the antenna somewhere on his four wheeler as opposed to having a handheld antenna he's always going to get more yeah, range yeah. that you way can't go wrong with the mobile yeah other than maybe they what about the noise he's still having to listen out of a speaker well it, a lot of the mobiles have um audio uh ports or you can plug in a headset or something right oh do they i thought that they just some had the do. little hand mic thing usually they've well, got a pa no. output usually. yeah they've got the, some of them have uh, audio outputs you can plug in an external speaker i think that should be able to use a headset with some of those right the micro mobiles you know maybe you can go gmrs with the you know you get a gmrs license go they gmrs the headset with the problem mm-hmm. yeah 
Hmm. Check our website. Yeah, find Check something. our website. Give us a call. <laughs> All right, I guess that does it for our comments and questions this week. Send in your comments and questions for Danny, Anthony, or myself to show at buy2wayradios.com. If you want to know more about today's topic or about two-way radios in general, check out our forum discussions at twowayradioforum.com. You can subscribe to the Two-Way Radio Show directly from our website at twowayradioshow.com or hear it on iTunes, Blueberry.com, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher Radio. All right, well, I guess that does it for our show this time. What a show it's been. Anthony's got to be here next next time. He, he does. He really does. He does. He's got he, these he trade does. shows are killing us. Well, he he, he he keeps me on the clock too, so oh. I, and they'll keep an eye on he how is, long I'm going. He's <laughs> physically in the building today, but he's preparing for a trade show tomorrow. So, yeah, he always got an excuse. Well, today's show is sponsored by BuyTwoWayRadios.com. Whether you're searching for two-way radios for general consumer or business use, BuyTwoWay Radios can help you find the best solution for your needs. Enter the promo code SHOW at checkout and save an additional 5% off your order. Give us a call at 1-800-584-1445 or enter our live chat at BuyTwoWayRadios.com. Well, everyone, as always, thanks for listening. And until next time, for the Two-Way Radio Show, I'm Rick Savoy. And I'm Danny Feenster. And we're out.